Hello and welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. Our entire mission is to help you live on purpose, with purpose, and connect to the exact work that God has prepared for you and called for you to do. And I want to let everybody know out there that my book, you might have heard about it, it's coming out April 27th. It's called On Purpose, With Purpose, Discovering Your Best Life Now. And I would love for you to be a part of our launch team. We want to create a movement because here's, here's what I believe. You know, we all hear about the why, the what, and the how. But what is absolutely foundational, what has to precede being able to connect to that, including our purpose and everything else, our calling is who we are. Not who we see in the mirror, but who God made us to be. And this book is about that entire journey. We're getting incredible feedback. So here's what happens. I'll just make this quick. Join the launch team. You just go to beyondinfluence.com forward slash book. You're going to get a free copy, a digital copy of the book. It's normally $16.99 when it's going to be on Amazon. Uh, you're going to get access to some uh, some of my courses. We got some great surprises. Also, the only thing I'd like you to do as part of the launch team is just order a copy of the book, lead us a review, and share some of the stuff that we're going to be putting on social media. So we just want to make an impact out there. So please join the On Purpose, With Purpose launch team and as a part of that circle of champions we got some other great stuff uh in store for you so with that we are uh we have a great episode for you coming up next all right hey welcome everybody and uh just so many great things are happening uh just this incredible community coming around the book launch on purpose with purpose and uh We've had so much engagement in our circle of champions in the five-day on purpose with purpose challenge that we just did for everybody. And just as this communities come together, the transformation that we're seeing is people step into their true identity and connect to those works that were meant for them, that purpose. It's just awesome to see what's happening. And I think the pace of what's happening in the world, uh, man, things are picking up. And I know that we can all feel it. And I reached out to my friend, Ken Harrison, to be on the podcast today. Ken, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, John. Appreciate it, man. Ken is the uh, president of Promise Keepers. And Ken, I went to my first Promise Keepers event right after I was a new believer back in San Diego. And I think it was in either 96 or 97. And I got to tell you, just as a new believer trying to figure this all out and being at an event where I, it was filled with men who were on this journey. Like I didn't feel alone anymore. Like I got to tell you for me, I don't even remember things that I heard. I can't tell you a specific speech or song, but it was the atmosphere. So what it was, was me just feeling God's presence. And it was in that, that I just knew I was in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. And man, that just launched me out of there into the world with just a renewed, like, first love. You know what I'm saying? And uh, everybody, Ken and I first met in Naples, Florida. Remember that? I was down there visiting my folks, and our good buddy, Kay Hiramine, said, hey, do you know Ken? I'm like, nope, I don't. He's like, well, he's speaking to the New Canaan Society. You got to come over and, and hear this guy. He's awesome. He's taken over Promise Keepers. He's been at Waterstone. He was a cop in his past. He's going to tell how it all came together. And I remember just listening. I was like, oh, man. Ken, you're awesome, and we need to get together in person here soon. But that, when was that? Maybe three, four years ago, maybe? 
Yeah, that was about three years. I was trying to remember where we were. I couldn't remember for the life of me. But that, yeah, that's it was Naples at what? That Brio restaurant right there in Naples. People are yeah. going, no, that's not the name of it. It was the other one right next door. But anyway, yeah, it's a, they open it. The guy that uh, he just opens it. They don't do breakfast service, but he opens it. There was hundreds of guys in there. I know COVID has changed things, but Ken, you guys are doing so much at Promise Keepers. And, you know, the vision that you have right now around this, I think, awakening in this revival in the body of Christ in a way that just transforms our nation, puts the hand of favor of God back. I mean, we're called to disciple nations. And one of the tenets of promise keepers, because a lot of people come and they ask me around purpose, you know, calling, what are those works? And I think some of the most important areas and you guys focus on that, and that's fulfilling our destiny as a godly husband, as a father, and as a leader. And you guys, everything that you do from when Coach started this so years ago, right, was to reunite, rebuild, reimagine, and then inspire the hearts of men to actually step into that. And I love that you are in the the leadership role there now, carrying on the vision and growing promise keepers. But, you know, before we get into some of the things we're going to talk about, I'd love for you to bring us back because man, your story, your journey has been really prepared you for what you're doing today. But could you bring us back all the way to maybe even before you were a cop and what led you all the way from there through to today? Yeah, I'll give you the really quick uh, synopsis because it is actually pretty interesting. And it, it leads to the sort of fruition of this whole thing, which when I took over promise keepers, I think I went through that point. A lot of people do, which is why me Lord, like, am I, am I up to this challenge? And I remember the Lord saying to me very clearly, I've been preparing you for this your whole life. And um, yeah. So, and he asked, you know, in retrospect, so yeah, I was saved at five, really filled with the spirit, loved the Lord. I literally would go around knocking on doors when I was six years old and handing out tracks on Saturdays and inviting people to church and, grabbing my dad and putting on my patent leather white shoes and my clip on tie. And, you know, it was a Baptist church. It was the early seventies, you know, and um, really got into a legalistic, my, my dad did really legalistic uh, environment, which really, I say that I was filled with the Holy spirit at five and it took the church about 10 years to beat him out of me. You know what I mean? Just, <laughs> I, I do. I do. I'm <laughs> constant rules and, you know, just that browbeating of the fact that you're just a terrible person no matter what you do. And I remember thinking, I can't wait to be an adult so I can stop being in trouble. And the thing was, I was a good kid. I love Christ. But when everything is evil, you know, rock and roll was evil and long hair was evil. And um, even black pants were evil, which I still have to this day not figured out. Gambling was evil. Cards were evil. Alcohol, of course, was evil. How about drinking while playing poker in black pants? Would that be over the top? I think that would be an add a cigarette to it. Well, actually, cigarettes weren't bad because a lot of the pastors were addicted to smoking. So for some reason, that wasn't as bad. <laughs> that got a that got a carve out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I just became, um, as you might imagine, I, I still love Jesus, and I, I started pouring myself into Scripture at the age of twelve because it was like the Jesus I know is not the Jesus they're preaching. I knew that much, and so I really. Thank the Lord. I know scripture so well because I spent so much time reading it as a young man, 12, 13, 14 years old. But by the time I got to be 18 or 19, man, I, I, you know, just kind of angry fist fighting, all that stuff. Just, it felt like I still love Jesus, but it felt like the people that I knew who represented him were unpleasable. 
And it just mm-hmm. felt like I was always condemned and always wrong. And there's that deep confusion of youth that comes on you. And, um, you know, so getting on the Los Angeles Police Department at 21 followed in my dad's footsteps and went right down to where my dad had been shot when I was a boy, 77th Division, which was Watts, Compton area. Um, and really, I loved it. It was an amazing time. And the lessons I learned, the effect I saw of fatherlessness, you know, people, they, when they think of Compton, they have a certain thing in their mind. But I think people would be surprised to know that 95% of people are really good people. In fact, I'd say it's it's more Christian there than just about anywhere else I've been. But 10% of that population is held hostage. I mean, 90% is held hostage by 10% of young fatherless boys who are violent. So you see what happens when men aren't raising their children. But the other thing I saw and really learned that it helped me in business in the rest of my life was the importance of identity. Because those kids, they just see themselves as bad guys. I mean, they're raised to think of themselves as gangsters. They're raised to think they have no hope, no future. The whole world is racist. There's no opportunities for them. And so, you know, they'll get into a gang and, and, and they'll end up in prison. And that's just who they see themselves as being. And that's the narrative we've got to fight against so vitriolly as the church. We've got to be proactive and get men to mentor young men, to take it, it, an interest in them, and to remind people of who they are. They're, they're sons of Jesus, of, sons of God, saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. All of us sinners. And that's, you know, the identity of those people in that legalistic church that I was in or the identity of the people in the ghetto, it's all the same. It's when you don't understand and you don't get your identity from being a sinner saved by grace, then you're going to go off kilter. And so then leaving there after the Rodney King stuff, I was not involved in that, but I was a policeman in a, you know, the area that got the fallout and getting into business and God giving me great success and selling a business and running a, a very large international business. Um, and then kind of retiring in 2012, at the old age of 45, John, because at 45, you know, I was done. <laughs> I was burned out. And I've told the story many times, but I was very happily retired for a couple of years. And I was praying and in the spirit, as you know, that power of, you know, you wish you could have that mountaintop moment when you really meet the Lord. And, and mm-hmm. it doesn't happen as nearly as often as you'd like, where you're just in prayer so much, you don't even know how, you don't even feel time passing. And he's taught, speaking to you and you're speaking to him. And and all of a sudden, in a way that I've never, intensity I've never had before, he, all of a sudden I heard his voice say, Ken, I did not put you through everything I did and teach you everything I did so you could ski and hike for the rest of your life. And I said, what do you want me to do, Lord? And he said, are you willing to be as ambitious for my kingdom as you were for your kingdom? Uh, it came with a warning. Be careful of your answer. It will cost you your life. Mm. I got to tell you, man, I said, I don't know. Which, you know. To the creator of the universe. Well, that's an honest answer. He must still be honest, right? Yeah. And so he gave me a little (laughs) vision of the judgment seat of Christ, where I realized that if I did my little plan of having a ranch and steamboat springs and skiing and hiking, I would be fine and I would be blessed. But when I got to the judgment seat of Christ and I saw what I could have done had I laid my life down, I would have had weeping and gnashing of teeth of deep Mm -hmm. regret over a wasted life because he could have done so much. And so... I did say, Lord, I'm sick and tired of all the stuff. I'm sick and tired of liars and being sued and firing people and confrontation and stabbed in the back. And and he said, that's okay, but you missed my full blessing. And after two hours, I finally said, Lord, you know, you knew the answer all along. I mean, you said you got to pick up across daily and follow me. So 
I'll, I'll lay down my life. And then he said, I'll tell you what I have for you when you're ready. And that was it. And his presence was gone and took four more years. And so, you know, the, the last humiliation was now that we've gotten you to this point, I just want to let you know, you're not even worthy of me yet, <laughs> of my mission yet. Was that, was, is that how you interpreted that? I did. It was like, in fact, frankly, I was pretty clear what he meant was I, we still have to work on your humility more because what I have for you, you're not ready for. Mm. And so four years went by and accelerating the story, really. Uh, when well, what did you do during those four years? Like, uh, and I also have some questions that we'll, we'll go, I, I want to go back into what led up to that. But during that four years, because I think, I think there's probably a lot of people listening, Ken, that actually feel like, you know what, they've they kind of have built their own kingdom. They have some element of success or great success. And they're in this place where they, they want to now move into a place of significance. So they feel that on their heart. Like myself, I had my accident in 2011. I was 45 years old. I was sidelined for two years. And it's now been nine and a half years since the accident. And God told me back then I remember I was in prayer. It was like your mountaintop moment. I was recovering from another surgery. I was in my bed and I'm just like, I can't do what I used to do. I can work a few hours a week. I had a severe brain injury. I was still recovering, but I'm like, what am I going to do to even be productive? And what God said to me in that moment, Ken was John. He said, it was a internal voice. It was audible, just like similar to when I was um, in his presence at the accident scene that was external. But he said, John, I want you to use this life I've given you to equip and inspire leaders to work in my kingdom. And that was it. Mm. And honestly, took me, I think, honestly, until about a year or two ago to really understand fully what that meant. So, yeah, there was this period of almost preparation. And so when you're maybe the, the folks that are out there right now that just feel like there is a bigger meaning, there is there is kingdom work to be done. I know that it's in front of me, but it's not being revealed, right? You're in that place. What would you share with people that are kind of like where you were during that four-year period, but they're there right now? Now that's a really great question because I, I was skipping over it, but it was actually really applicable. And so what I did was really pour myself into scripture. I actually got really impatient with the Lord at one point because I knew there was this call. And my wife, um, who's extremely prophetic, sent to me uh, one day, Ken, I, I keep praying to the Lord and I only get one word, wait. And I'm like, well, that's not the word I want to hear. <laughs> yeah, and, you're a doer, uh, right? <laughs> I mean, I was happily retired. You get me all excited. Then you tell me to sit around and wait. And... Uh, I actually climbed up in the mountains over Evergreen with my little pocket New Testament back when I didn't need reading glasses and uh, sat down by this waterfall. And I said, Lord, like a stubborn child, frankly. And I said, Lord, I'm going to sit here all day until you tell me what you want me to do. And I'm just going to open up the Bible and I'm just going to start reading. Now, my little New Testament had a Psalms in it. And I don't know, I, you know, I opened up to Psalm 27 without meaning to and just kind of looked at the middle of the page. And the first thing I see is Psalm 27, 14. Wait on the Lord, be patient and strong, and wait on the Lord. <laughs> it was like, it was God having a little joke with me, you know? It was like, let's not make you wait all day. Let's just answer you right now. Just wait. Mm. But what happened was, I started all of a sudden to get all this influence and relationships across Denver. And so I'd run an international company. So, and we'd moved to Denver in 2009 from San Diego. So I really didn't have a lot of friends in Denver. And suddenly started getting connected everywhere. And I started having all these guys say to me, 
teach me how to be a man. Why is your marriage so happy? Why are your kids so godly? Which they are. And my wife is godly. And when you see our family together, it's just a, a tight knit family who loves Jesus. And yeah, so I started realizing, well, I can't teach these guys how to be men until I teach them how to be disciples. And so the Lord was then really prompting me, you need to write this Bible study. You need to write this Bible study on, on being a disciple. And I'm like, man, I really, I really don't want to do that. And the motivation in me was getting really strong. And um, finally, I wrote, it was 100 pages long. And I sent an invitation out to about 300 guys that I knew across America. And the moment I hit send, within an hour, I got a text message that Waterstone was looking for a new CEO. So I walked into the back from the back of the house and I showed the text to my wife and I said, Elliot, this is my next job. And she said, well, who's Waterstone? What do I do? And I said, I really don't know. But I know the Lord said, this is my next job. So it, it took that moment. Oh, wait, hold, being, wait, wait, pause there. Like yeah. you just knew like in your gut, right? Mm -hmm. Like you don't know what Waterstone is, but this is what's next. Yeah. You know, it's funny. And there's just those moments when you're really living in, in the spirit, when your life is absent of known sin and you're repentant that God just, he meets you, you know, you're, you're truly abiding in the vine. And it was one of those moments I got the text and it's boom, this is what you'll be doing. But, you know, can I share something, though? Because here's also what I'm discerning that also happened. And I think this is a, uh, just a, a beautiful lesson for all of us. And that is in this period of time, as you're waiting, you're reading scripture, you're praying, you're abiding. What you're doing is deepening your relationship with the Lord. You're building that trust. You're opening that communication. And not only being discipled by others, but being discipled by the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Because what I have found with so many people, they're like, well, I've never heard God's voice. I've never heard those nudges. And I'm like, well, you know, how deep is your relationship? You know, Ken, if you and I spent every day together, best friends, and I come to you and say, man, I got, I need some advice. You would like clear the decks and say, all right, buddy, let's talk about it. Or if I hadn't even talked to you once since we met in Naples four years ago, and I'd be like, hey, Ken, can I get a couple hours of your time? Well, you'd be polite, but it's not like we have this deep relationship where you, we know each other and we're communicating at such a different level. And I think a lot of times, like for me, these waiting periods have been two areas that God has had me focus on. And that is understanding more of who he is and his nature, his promises, understanding his will. And also for me, understanding not who I am, but who God created me to be, because those two for me were, when I started this process, where there was a enormous gulf between those two, the person I saw in the mirror, and I believe the person God saw when he looked at me. And would you say that those were pieces that allowed you, when you look at this, you just, you know, instantly, that's where I need to go and you're going to trust it. But that wasn't just an isolated moment, though, wasn't it? No, you're dead on. In fact, I tell, I say all the time that God will always, because he can put lots of things as the number one priority because he's God. And he'll always put relationship with us as the number one priority while we're carrying out his will, whatever it may be and however big it may be. And this is where so many people get stale. And I just had mm -hmm. a, a close friend who's a pastor of a massive church get fired a couple of weeks ago. And the reason he got fired was the elder said he had too much pride and he wouldn't learn and wouldn't listen. 
And that's what happens is that when you get to a, a place where you're running promise keepers or you're running a giant church and you suddenly forget that you're just a beggar telling other beggars where you found bread and mm-hmm. we're just all bringing out his call. And he will, he will give us a forced rest if we get outside and abiding for too long. And when we are abiding. Yeah. It's almost that, that place, right? If you start seeing yourself as the guru, right? The all-knowing mm-hmm. expert because of your experience versus I love kind of the image of a Sherpa, right? You're just, you might be a few steps ahead of other people on the path. Maybe you've accomplished some things. Um, and there's other people around you that have, you know, also maybe they're a couple steps ahead of you, but you're just there to guide and lead and join God in what he is doing in the world. And I think it's an important distinction because I just got to tell you, my prayer life has evolved. I think matured as I've really worked into these two areas. And that is, first starting out like, Hey God, here's like my stuff that I want, right? Like the, here's the, I'm saved. So like my prayers were like the spiritual ATM kind of deal. And then it evolved to God, show me your will for my life. But then I realized that it's bigger than that. And my prayer evolved into can God show me your will in what you're doing in the world and what I need to do to change, to grow. And sometimes some of the growth that was required to join him was hard work. It wasn't fun always because this, I got this revelation when I was reading in Exodus about Moses. And when God came to Moses, what God told me is that I, that wasn't my will for Moses. My will was to free a nation. That is my will. And I went to Moses to invite him to join me in something much bigger than what I'm going to do in and through Moses right? It's to free and release a nation. And then that became now how I pray for God to reveal his will. What what is he doing in Ken's life? What is he doing in Promise Keepers? Is there anything that God wants me to do right now in this moment to change, to adapt, to grow, to join him in what he might be doing if that's where he's led me into? Does that make sense? Yeah, very much. I like that. I like that a lot. You know, pride is the, as C.S. Lewis called it, the great sin from which all the other sins come, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Even adultery, think about adultery, it's all sexual. No, adultery comes when you value yourself more than your spouse. And it's, there's all kinds of things that go in with it, right? Lying, cheating, stealing, greed, all those come from thinking that you're better than the next person. Yeah, I deserve it, right? Yeah. Mm. So with Waterstone, I, you know, they did a nationwide search and ended up hiring me. It's a foundation in Colorado Springs. It does really great work helping people turn complicated assets into to money that they can give to charities and maximize their tax benefits. But I got here. It was great. And it was like, this isn't what God and I talked about. This is a really easy job. And it was really interesting. But when Promise Keepers came along, I was teaching one of my men's discipleship groups when a man walked in and said he was the president of Promise Keepers. And I said, that's still a thing. And um, for the next year or so, he tried to get me to come on their board. And I said, I don't want any part of a dead organization. And finally, when I went to a board meeting and saw the mess that Promise Keepers had become, it was really doing nothing. It was massive. It was strapped with debt. It really had no business still existing. And in fact, they voted me chairman in that board meeting immediately. And I said, only if all of you resign. And so they all resigned. I kept a quorum of three people and I brought it into Waterstone to close it. And um, we paid off all their debts. 
we did all the legal stuff that we needed to do to close it in a proper and responsible way in about two hours before we were supposed to close it. And man, I was a man with a mission. I had people begging me not to close it. I'm like, I'm closing this thing. That's when God finally said, remember that conversation we had? Remember mm-hmm. all that week? This was it. And it has been a laying down in my life. I'll tell you, it's been three and a half years. It has been uh, a massive amount of work, a massive amount of joy, uh, God's incredible favor, and the world's persecution all rolled into one. And I can just say that, you know, when you're really in the will of the Lord, it's sort of like you take life and you turn it up to the maximum in every way. The joys are, are so much more joyful. The relationships are so much more filled with love. But also the, you feel people's hurts more. You know, the amount of time I've spent crying with people who are, are going through things um, in the last three years is vastly more than the rest of my life before that. Mm-hmm. And the, the stings of the church. And, and I'll tell you, uh, John, just to take a little bit of a side road, but I've really been praying and fasting. And it's funny that last November I got to the point of after three years going, Lord, why are we doing this? Like, why are we bringing back promise keepers? And I really prayed and fasted and he really met me in a big way. Cause God knows that when I fast, it's a big deal. Cause I terrible at it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And he really, you know, he answered me in a supernatural way. The purpose of Promise Keepers is to teach my people fear of the Lord. Lots of people say they love me, but they don't really know who I am. They don't even know who they love. And fear of the Lord means fearing being separated from him. It means understanding his holiness. But then I started praying recently, well, you know, what is it? What is the sin we're trying to save people from? Because I speak against pornography all the time and against greed and God said, you know, those are massive sins, but the biggest sin in my church is slander. And you think slander, slander. And the Lord said, it's because of slander that all these divisions have formed that the church is so powerless to fight for justice. There's so many tribes, there's so many. And I've since really started to observe that and watch every time you mention a pastor's name or a leader's name or a speaker's name, people feel compelled to have an opinion and it's usually negative. And then people they don't even know. And I asked one person I knew who, you know, who's a pastor and about another well-known pastor that we were thinking about having as a speaker. And he immediately kind of sneered and shook his head. And I go, what does that mean? Ah, you know, he sneered and shook his head again. I go, I still don't know what that means. Like, why are you sneering? Why are you shaking? Like, what is it about him? And uh, you don't want that guy. Well, why don't I want that guy? Tell me why I don't want him. What is it about him? Oh, well, I I really don't know, but I know so-and-so doesn't like him. Okay, so... You want to give me a negative impression and have him not be a speaker because somebody told you something and you don't even know what it was. Like, are we that willing to just tear people down? Yes, we are. And it's a thing that's crushing the church and it's been just just really aching in my spirit of what are we going to do to bring people back? Because, you know, I was just talking to a, a, two different pastors events last week, uh, one on Monday and one a week last week. And I said to them, you know what, guys? The churches argue about whether we're speaking tongues or not speaking tongues, or whether you can lose your salvation or not lose your salvation, or you pick whatever article, whatever theological thing you want. Most people don't care. Most people are trying to deal with the fact that their son just said, I'm a homosexual, and they want to know, what am I supposed to do about it? That their daughter's cutting and they're worried she's suicidal. What do I do about it? Or a man just got diagnosed with terminal cancer and he and his wife are wondering, what do we do about it? That's where they're at. They want to know where is Christ? How do I get closer to him? How do I help my family? How do I bring people together? And we're arguing about stupid garbage. And I'm not saying that these issues aren't important, but I'm saying we've made them an idol 
And I said to them, you know, it's much like the native tribes of America after the Civil War. They continue to fight each other because that's what they've done for hundreds of years. The Arapaho fought the Cheyenne and the Sioux fought the Blackfeet. And when the Americans after the Civil War started coming west and taking land, the native tribes all kept fighting with each other. And one day they woke up and they were all on reservations and everything they had to themselves was gone. And that's going to happen in the church if we don't start to put Christ first and stop slandering each other. I think that is so important because, you know, when we teach leadership and we go into a culture, here's something I share with people. We actually define what gossip is or slander, right? And that is saying something negative about somebody else who's not part of the problem or the solution. Like that guy wasn't coming to you and say, hey, I need to have help with you to, I think there's something going on here. And hey, this could just be me and my take on it, but let's talk. No, what they're saying is something negative because in Proverbs, I love this verse, right? A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. Mm. Those little negative things, think about it. Like if somebody said to you and you were coming to meet me, oh yeah, Ramstead. Yeah, be careful with him. I might be totally above board, but now all of a sudden you have that thought in the back of your head. Hey, why didn't that guy like him? Has he done him wrong? Is Do I got to check his work? Like, in actually, this has been studied, by the way, when gossip exists, let's say in a company, and it does, you lose eight to 12 hours of productivity in hours per person per week. So think wow. about just the destruction and the cancer that gossip is. And then when we do it to each other, man, it absolutely tears us down. And so here's a story. I was actually, this was during the election and I heard uh, it was a politician, a woman, something she had said. I was just listening to the news as I was walking and man, I just started just tearing into her on the phone with somebody else. And as soon as I got off the phone, I heard God just speak to me like he just a little spiritual slap. And he said, why are you cursing my daughter? Ooh, I was like, baby. Oh my gosh. He's like, yeah, I love her. I have a plan for her. And why don't you pray for her, pray for her to be in relationship with me. That's what you can do. And, you know, basically shut up. And it's easy to do to, let's say, a politician on the other side of the aisle. And I think we're just as guilty, like you said, of doing it to our own. And it causes strife and division. And here's the thing. If every single person listening right now just watched our language and are our words building people up or are they tearing people down and throwing curses at people? And I think if we listened to our own words, we might be pretty convicted. And if we just got a little bit better over the next week, we could be part of something huge as that starts a movement across the country, I believe. That is so, we, you know, I don't think we understand enough the power of words and we throw out curses on other people, on our children, and we don't even realize it. Again, it's about identity and it comes back to that. And lots of people you know, they have damaged souls. You were damaged by your father or whatever that went on in your life or, and there's an insecurity there. And so for so many people, we try to make up for that insecurity by putting others down and somehow it makes us feel better. But man, and I would say slander is talking negatively about somebody without a constructive purpose for it. And, you know, the other problem in the church we do have just to kind of counterbalance this a little bit is, you know, I, I've had people where I found out really bad things about people who work for me or something. And when that person was gone, then they tell me, I'm like, well, why didn't you tell me at the time? Well, well, I didn't want to gossip. Okay. Well, it's not gossip when you're telling the boss information he needs to know to make proper decisions. Cause I'm counting on that person. And 
that information would have been really useful to have known three years ago before he did all his damage to us. You know what I mean? Well, and also think about it in the moment too, because you know, there's nothing in the Bible about being nice, right? <laughs> right. But it is about being kind, which means that we, it's where we come from. If we're coming from a place of love that we actually care more about that person and who they are than maybe how they feel about me. Because I know I was completely off track as you talked about your arrogance, my just arrogance and how I was showing up. My group, my division was just rocking it. And all of my peers did not like me because of who I was. And I had no problem with it. And until my boss came to me one day and said, John, I'd love to promote you. But if I did, all of the other managers would quit. None of them would work for you. This is something wow. we need to work on like right now. Now, that was hard to hear. But I got to tell you, I am so thankful that somebody intervened at that point before that carried on and could have had that's somebody who cared more about me than how I felt about them. And so I think it is actually one of the most unkind things to do if there really is feedback that needs to happen. Because remember, it's not gossip if you're bringing in somebody that's part of the solution. If I'm coming to you and say, Ken, we got to talk about this person. And you might even give me feedback, John, I got to tell you, I know this. I looked at all the work and I think this is really you in your perception. Now, all of a sudden, I'm getting feedback that maybe I need to hear also. But if we don't have these conversations, I think we're doing people a huge disservice. As an example, my son, we were talking about this exact issue. He hates sending food back at a restaurant. He thinks he's going to offend the waiter and the chef and everybody. And I said, listen, I know people that own restaurants and they know when food gets sent back. It, it's the only, it's the, fee, the, like you get a bad meal and then you go write 10 negative reviews and you never come back. Mm -hmm. If you don't send that food back, they don't know to tell the chef to do it differently or the server or the expediter or whatever. They count on that because a good manager, a good leader is going to use that to make things better. So, you know, don't, don't be shy if you get something you didn't order to send it back because, you know, all of a sudden he's like, okay, I get it. You know why that's so important, what you're saying too. And I love what you said that the Bible doesn't have any commands to be nice because I often, having, you know, been in leadership in so many big ways, people say, well, he's a really nice guy. And I go, well, what's a nice guy exactly? Because in my experience, a nice guy is somebody who's afraid of conflict. And so he never stands for anything or says anything that would bring him down. So he's a nice guy. I don't want a nice guy. I want a passionate guy who loves Jesus, who stands for justice and who's kind. But I don't want a nice guy, you know? Yeah, because kind is coming from a place of, I think, both love and humility, Right. I'm not doing it. You know, I wouldn't share that fear with you to show somebody up or tear somebody down. Now, if I came to you with that spirit and you sensed it, I'm sure that you and I would have a conversation and you would set me straight. Because right? that, because that, I would, you could probably identify pretty quickly. I think Ram said actually might be the problem here. Right. <laughs> and I wouldn't be a nice guy if I did that. Right. Because nice guys don't confront you over your sin, but people who actually love you for who you are as a brother in Christ, they do. And they do it with graciousness and humility. Exactly. Man, that is such a great point. Well, let me, so, okay. So promisekeepers.com, correct? Yep. No, Guys, I'm uh, it's promisekeepers.org. Oh, I'm sorry. Promisekeepers.org. Promise I have the website pulled up right here. <laughs> promisekeepers.org, O-R-G. Folks, they're doing some amazing stuff. And one of the things that Ken said, right, if, as a man, and you really want to step into that full role of being a godly kingdom man, 
what has to happen is discipleship. You're going to find that in promise keepers. You're going to find that and you need to seek it and be part of that. And so join Ken and promise keepers and what they're doing. And it's just kind of, as we wrap up, Ken, just any final thoughts you just love to leave with everybody who've been listening. Yeah. You know, we've talked a lot, you know, in the last 45 minutes or whatever it's been. And I just want to let people know that you hear this stuff sometimes and you think, man, that sounds really good, but I, I want to be like that, but I can't. You know, I failed before. And uh, I'll just say, you know, we're all born immediately with the ability to hear the voice of Satan because he is the ruler of this world and we're born with a sinful nature. And so we, we become very accustomed to hearing his voice so much so that we don't even realize that it's his voice that we're listening to in our head. And hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit is hard. It's soft and it's gentle. Mm-hmm. And I would just say to you that Satan's voice always brings stress. And he always says that you got to go now. And, and or he say you're not good enough or you're too good. Or else actually say you're not good enough and you're too good at the same time. And a lot of you will know what I'm talking about. The voice of the Holy Spirit always says wait, always brings peace, always brings humility. And so if you're listening to this, think, you know what? The voice of, of Satan is going to tell you, you can't, you're not good enough. It's not going to happen. That's not true. If you've repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are son or daughter of the the most high, and he will give you power beyond your wildest dreams. If you just pick up your cross daily and follow him. What a beautiful message. Thank you for coming on, Ken, taking your time and sharing. Um, And uh, I'd love for you to come back anytime you want. I'd love to just keep the conversation going. And anytime you promise keepers has anything coming up or events, uh, whether they're in Denver or around the country, let me know. I'd be happy to put the word out and folks plug in. Cause like Ken said, you know, it's an organization that's been revived, restored, reborn and on a mission. And uh, you will find like-minded men that are on this journey to step into the fullness of who God created them to be and what God created them to do. And thank you, Ken, for the, the picking up your cross daily and putting in, and your entire team, by the way, amazing people on staff there that are doing this selflessly to serve God and in doing that, serve all of us. Thanks, Pat. I really appreciate being on here, Ramstead. Oh, it's been a blast, man. Well, we will do it again soon, brother, and just keep knocking coffee. them alive, my friend. Coffee, man. Okay. <laughs>